Welcome to this month's Millennial Spotlight, brought to you by Lead With Intention. I'm Leslie Bosserman, executive coach and lifestyle strategist, partnering with millennial leaders and their managers. The purpose of these conversations with millennial changemakers each month is to deepen and extend the dialogue around how to lead with intention. This month, we're focusing on the intention of placemaking and how to intentionally create community experiences that both stimulate connection and inspire inspiration. I'm here with Trey Borden, who's on a mission to uplift communities by connecting people to experiences and activating spaces and ideas. His projects in and around the Sacramento area have instilled vibrant creativity and collaboration into the community. So welcome, Trey. It's so great to have you. Thank you, Leslie. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Well, I'm from Sacramento, born and raised here. Uh, really got a good sense of what this community, you know, what was possible here. I think a lot of people talk about Sacramento as this place that uh, had nothing going on until recently. And, uh, you know, my mom was a, on the board of the Downtown Sacramento Partnership growing up. She was a SMAC commissioner. She worked with the Crockers at Docent. I always got a really good sense of the, the power of community here, even though I think this was a place I as a kid, wanted to leave as fast as possible, and I did. I graduated from Jesuit in 02, and then I attended Yale University. Uh, I was an East Asian Studies major, and I made that decision pretty randomly, just, you know, was kind of looking around, understood that China was going to be a big deal, and started taking Mandarin, and that led to some service opportunities in Asia. Fun fact, I actually spent my sophomore year summer living in an orphanage in China. Wow. Which was, yeah, it was a really eye-opening experience. Um to see these kids who essentially live in a society that only has one child. So you have all the resources of, you know, both sides of your family. And these kids, you know, kind of grow up with nothing. And so it really gives you a sense of gratitude. And yet they were very optimistic and they, they were really kind of innovative in terms of like the types of uh, outlooks that they had to have and the types of jobs that they had to even think of pursuing for success. Anyway, so uh, based on that, I graduated and started a company with a friend of mine called Suits You, which uh, basically connected students and young professionals to East Asian tailors in Shanghai. You know, we had gotten all these clothes tailored when uh, we were there for the summer, and you know, we were still kind of trying to figure out what to do with our lives. But a lot of our friends had these super important jobs where they needed really nice clothing and had no money. That's so, an awesome collaboration. Yeah, very innovative. It was great. And it was my first kind of dipping my toe into uh, entrepreneurship. And so from there, I the crash hit. And so instead of figuring out how to fund it further, we each decided to kind of move on. And I moved back to California thinking I would take my GMAT, go to business school and kind of move back to somewhere else more exciting. And that was in 08. And so since then, I, I ended up working for Mayor Johnson as a fellow. I ended up going to Davis uh, to get my MBA. And it, that was really when I started to really understand what pushing Sacramento forward was going to look like. And I was very surprised having lived all these more quote unquote exciting places, kind of what you really could accomplish with a community that was connected and collaborative, but that had yet to really define itself. And so a lot of the work I've been doing recently, especially in terms of placemaking is allowing this community to feel empowered about what direction it's going in and, and kind of how we identify with as, as a city. That's awesome. And, and one of the things I know now living in Sacramento, my third year and growing up in the Bay Area. So there's that sense of, oh, Sacramento is our capital city. It should have an identity. But there's so much that goes into building a culture and an identity and also respecting the culture that a place or an organization has. So when we think of this meta concept of placemaking, 
Tell us a little bit more about what placemaking is, why it's important, and why millennials are really engaging with this idea. Uh, I think that, you know, at the root of it, placemaking is just about kind of uh, asserting a vibrant identity, you know, for a community and really motivating people around expressing that in a, in a variety of ways. I mean, really, it's about being respectful of the context of a place and then doing things that allow that to be evident. You know, we talk about Sacramento as this kind of gold rush, very agricultural history. And, you know, part of, you know, part of a placemaking project is about respecting that and pushing it into the current moment. Uh, and I think that one of the reasons that Sacramento is a right place to practice it is because there's all of these really rich historical contextual details about our city that have either been overlooked or kind of brushed to the side as, you know, oh, we're trying to get past that or, you know, oh, we want to be this new cool sounding thing. And really there's already so much, I mean, Sacramento's entire history is based on kind of this manifest destiny coming West really, really being kind of a very entrepreneurial person. And so I think that that is something that deserves to be respected and kind of translated. And so I think people do that, uh, especially in places that have been overlooked. I mean, place making, I mean, I've actually even heard the term place keeping as a way of kind of even more asserting that uh, respect for the past. Place making is about leveraging the resources that exist in the community in a vibrant way that is inclusive. Like that's how I would uh, that's how I would describe placemaking. It's something that gets people feeling like they are in the driver's seat of what the future of their community looks like. And so I think that that's, you know, a lot of that is very visual because it's the easiest way to translate kind of what a community's values are. And that's why you see placemaking uh, involving a lot of art projects. Oftentimes, artists are the ones who are thinking most deeply about the issues and kind of characteristics of a community and so they're really good to tap to start to visualize that but then it's really about community organizing it's about entrepreneurship it's about what making allowing a community to thrive in ways that are uh, consistent with its values that's kind of general but i think you know ultimately that's what it's about and kind of using that in a geographic way that empowers people in a certain area i think the word empower and engage just really hone in on what you're focusing on with placemaking. And, and I think about the parallels between this concept of placemaking and this concept of life making that many of us as millennials and people who manage millennials are trying to figure out. So as, as individuals, we think about, well, what do we value and how do we lead from our values and how do we display that? Placemaking takes that on a whole nother level because it's doing it as part of an interconnected community. So it's, it's a neat way to to look at a process that many of us have gone through or are going through or maybe haven't started yet, but want to start um, and, and then taking that to a community level. Yeah, and I think that it's, you know, it's also, I think it, the, the term comes from, I think, more of an architectural and design and maybe even planner background where it's like, how do you do this in the public sphere? You know, placemaking is typically going to animate a site that people maybe overlook that could really be serving a much more useful purpose or could be a little bit more values driven or could be creating opportunities for the people in that community to engage with one another and even identify and increase visibility for an area. So I think grounding you know, the principles that we're talking about in this very 
real life thing that says, look, look, this is not only something that's for a classroom. This is actually something that needs to be practiced in the public sphere. And so there's an accessibility around placement that I think is, uh, is really empowering for all types of community members. And that's what it's supposed to do. So I see a lot of younger millennials, so maybe students right out of college, um, people in their kind of early to mid-20s and into their 30s, really getting involved and wanting to either make their hometown more vibrant or the city that they maybe went to school in or a city they've moved in that they don't associate with yet. So what are the specific trends that you've noticed among your millennial peers with either becoming placemakers or getting curious about this? I think that, you know, what's been interesting is when I graduated college, you know, we all went to New York, you know, we were leaving Yale, that's in Connecticut. And I think that, you know, no matter where you were, uh, you were kind of seeking that big city experiences, the place to get your feet wet. That's kind of where you hone your craft. There's this, you know, this, I, this kind of nostalgic idea of, you know, packing up your stuff in a suitcase and showing up in the city and making your mark. And I think that that's something that has changed. I think that, you know, these other cities like Sacramento, like you see uh, Charlotte, you know, even Albuquerque, Indianapolis, like these places that maybe a lot of people are from, but didn't really feel like they held much opportunity for them when they grew up there. I think one of the trends we're seeing is the return to those places that you do have that kind of historical and emotional connection to. You've seen a little bit more of the world and you can bring that that knowledge and that kind of cultural capital back to where it can really make an impact. I mean, this obviously coincides with the lack of affordability in many of these places that, you know, historically you needed to be in if you were a creative or if you were someone in, uh, you know, the arts. I mean, I lived in New York when I was right out of college and I returned there now to the same places. I'm like, I could never afford to be here. And I don't know how anyone who's not already at, you know, a very, very established place in their career could like move here. And so instead of kind of doing this rat race up the corporate ladder in San Francisco or LA or at this point, even Austin, uh, in New York, why not go back to a place like Sacramento where there is a really close knit community. You can pick up the phone and reach someone in city government or a property owner or a funder and just get something together. If you know how to hustle and you know how to work collaboratively, collaboratively with people, you can get so much more done here than you can in these bigger cities. And I think that, you know, a lot of people are starting, the sheen is starting to rub off for people who thought that they needed to be in the big city to matter. I think you're seeing a lot of people who recognize that this unmet potential in some of these second tier cities. And when I say second tier, that's not meant to say that they are less compelling, but these are not the places that you're thinking of when you are, you know, growing up and writing your dreams down on a piece of paper. But they are the places where I think dreams are a lot more tangible and where you can really hone um, a craft. And like placemaking, you know, that's something that didn't exist here in the, you know, I mean, I can't say that, but I would never have identified myself as a placemaker if I were living in Brooklyn. You know, there's people who are doing that. There's people who have a lot more claim to those types of things than I would have you know, just struggling to make it there, but coming back to Sacramento and saying, look, how can I really be someone who pushes the needle forward and uses my skills in a way that I'm not even sure what that's going to be like yet. Uh, Sacramento has has been a, a completely wonderful canvas and lab for someone like me. And I think a lot of people like me are starting to figure that out. 
Yeah, a lot more young professionals and millennials who are hungry to either lead change or drive change in a community find a lot more connection in a smaller big city, I should say, like Sacramento. Or like I lived in Portland um, before I moved to Sacramento, and Portland has its own identity, and we often get compared to Portland and other places. Um, but even then, like figuring out ways that you can plug in to make the city smaller. And maybe you don't live in a city. Maybe you live in a, in a town or an area or a, a suburb even. So just asking yourself, what, what does my community need? If, if you were to do something that you were passionate about and, and connect with someone who is either in a position who has resources to help you um, or just connect with people who are already doing some of that work. I think there are a lot of inroads. So Trey, if you're talking to somebody who's really passionate about leading this kind of change, where would you have them start? Well, I mean, I think that the first thing that I would ask them is, you know, like you just articulated, what do you, what do you see the need being? You know, I think that the, the best advice I can give is to not have a solution when you start. You know, I think that people, you need to start out listening and observing what people and what your community actually could use. Because first of all, that's the best way to get support is because people are going to, people are going to understand, oh yeah, that would be great if we had that, you know? And I think that also you have to, it has to be organically of the community. You know, you can't just say, oh, I saw this in this one place. Let's make that happen here exactly that way. You know, I I think that the most successful placemaking projects are ones that are really specific to the characteristics that the history and kind of the momentum of a community. You know, sometimes there's already things in the works that you can just be accelerating. You don't have to create your own thing as well. Um, I think that sometimes, especially if you're starting out, find the coolest thing that's happening in your city and help that. Not only will you then get to know the people who are doing the stuff you're interested in, but then you'll actually get some experience and some credibility, which you did try to do an initiative that you spearheaded. So um, those are the pieces of advice I would give. It's that people are already excited, usually in a community, especially one like Sacramento, that is finally enjoying some uh, authentic momentum. And I think that uh, coming in and, and leveraging that with your own skills is the best way to learn and to meet future collaborators. Yeah, and I love the idea of it's okay to join a movement, not having to spearhead a movement. A lot of the time we think, oh, I need to be at the epicenter to matter. And I love the fact of, of instead starting where your community is at, then sculpting a vision and seeing how your skills and your talents and the resources you have access to are able to activate that vision. And then it wasn't until years later, you know, that I had finally carved out a niche for myself and that was after working on a variety of different projects and really getting to know people and getting people to trust me and even getting to trust myself like you know I have an MBA and an East Asian studies degree I'm not a city planner I'm not an artist and so really figuring out where you fit in an ecosystem takes time and it takes you not having a rigid set of expectations you know expectations are the death of ambition right because then you get locked into a certain way of doing it. And when you don't, when it doesn't work out that way, you get extremely discouraged. And I've seen that happen to people. And I think that that's one of the reasons that this uh, new field is really for the person who is open-minded and who is uh, a self-starter and a hustler and someone who's adaptive. Because if you enter this space thinking it has to be 
this and it doesn't become that, which it never does. No project I've ever worked on has ended up being exactly how we thought. And had we known how it would turn out, perhaps we would have been discouraged to even begin it. But I think that it's really for that millennial who is willing to fully embrace um, the journey. And I think what you just said parallels most human relationships, whether it's professional or personal. You know, we, we, if we hold our agenda so tightly and we plan in Sharpie rather than planning in pencil, we are not able to see the potential and we get stuck. So I, I think there's a, a lot of wisdom in holding the vision with expectations that are flexible. And I think that in terms of how it relates to millennials, um, I think that especially in our current environment, uh, things really do have to be purpose-driven. You know, I think that when you have a, a country and a world that is, you know, kind of caught in the grips of divisiveness, where a lot of people are struggling to be heard who need to be, I think you really have to think about what kind of projects you're going to spearhead, what kind of positions you are willing to take. Because I think that, you know, what we've seen is that people are no longer willing to sit back and not be involved. The biggest potential for people who want to be in a placemaking space or any kind of space that activates communities is that so many people are no longer taking their comfort for granted. I think a lot of people are, are aching to get involved in kind of the positive shaping in their community. And so I think that this is a wonderful time to be involved with empowerment, involved with, you know, getting people the visibility, getting communities the visibility that they need. This is, the time is now. And I think that with the right ideas and with the right team members, many, many ideas can happen that maybe couldn't happen in the past. Even the project we're working on, you know, Beacon. This is a project that's meant to animate our downtown, uh, this intersection in 10th and K with projection art, but the visibility of downtown wouldn't have been as much until recently. And this willingness to confront, you know, progressive and kind of thorny issues through the artwork, might, there might not have been the willingness there, um, but now there is because people want to see something happen and they want to affect change. And so I think that if I could just make this point that empowering people to make a substantive difference is now what people are going to want to be involved with something pretty or something that's like purely functional. I mean, there's still room for that, but what people are really needing right now is how to have a hand in how their community is going to address these really serious issues. And so I think that placemaking kind of has a fun connotation and it still should, but it also needs to one that has a purpose. So let's say you have somebody who is totally on board with this ideology, yet has a nine to five or nine to seven job and doesn't have the resources, whether it's capital or time or energy, to get fully invested. So yourself as, as an entrepreneur and a leader in the community, you have this amazing ability to be visible and be known in that way. What would you recommend for someone who's maybe doing it as a side hustle or doing it just to kind of have a way to express that deep desire for change? Well, I think that start where your capacity is. If you have a full-time job and this is something that you've never really explored, then scale it to that. You know, I don't think that people need to leave their job the first time they have any idea of something different to do with no infrastructure, with no source of revenue, with no contacts. Those are things that you build over time, and those are things that you do 
at your capacity, you know? And so I would say smart, start modestly. You know, when I started out helping artists, I was selling tape earrings next to Danny Scheibel at a fold up table at Sierra two, you know, and I had an MBA and a Yale degree at that point, you know? And so I think that like being able to kind of, like I said, take your ego out of it and figure out kind of like, what is it that I'm really good at and what can I do and scaling up from there. Uh, I would also say, seek out the me's. Seek out, listen to these podcasts, seek out the people that are maybe where you want to be if you were fully invested in this idea and talk to them about how they did it. You know, I think everyone's journey is different and everyone can have a different uh, impact and they can be equally important. You know, uh, I, you know I, I would tell that person with a full-time job, keep your job until you find out what you really want to do. And then if there's a point where you need to take that leap, you can do that then. But uh, be patient. Be persistent and patient. Awesome. And I think there's also space to start in your job. So we do a lot of work within my company with culture consulting. So if there's something in your company culture that could be improved, start there and make a change and then see how that trickles out. So we talk about placemaking as far as community, but I think that can go within organizations as well. It has to. And I think that, you know, that's a very good point because start where your resources are. I mean, that's if you're spending 50 hours a week in an organization and you have this passion, the best place to start is where you're already spending your time and where you already have access to resources. Um, I think that it's going to take, you know, and especially with, you know, what I do, it's about the old models are not necessarily working. You know, in fact, that we know they're not working because far too many people are being left out of them. But, you know, it's hard to just blow up the old system when there's nothing to take its place that's established. So a lot of this is going to take working with organizations to say, well, why not instead of investing 100% in this strategy that we know doesn't work, why don't you just put aside 5% and try something crazy and new and then we'll figure out the metrics that we need to justify increasing that investment. You know, it's not going to happen over over overnight and i think that millennials especially the ones on the older side of the millennial track you know our job is to be this bridge i don't think that you know people who are 32 33 right now are going to completely change everything however what we can do is translate to the older generation like here's what turning the ship around is going to look like and here's these experiments that we can start to invest in to see what works and then we can also say, look, to the younger generation, here is what you're about to inherit and how you can be accelerating and building upon this is how we can do this. I think that certain systems do need to be blown up. But even in those systems, there's a way to do it where you're not where you're still able to take advantage of the resources that these traditional outfits have. You know, I think people you know, are too impatient at times, but they also don't understand how to translate how everyone can win in a situation. And so I think that, yeah, if you're a part of an organization and you think you can have any impact in figuring out how they can do it differently and better, start there. Don't start in your garage when you have a company. So knowing that and seeing that, there's so many ways to start. So I think you've highlighted that just in, a, in an awesome way. So it doesn't have to be your full-time job. It doesn't even have to be something that takes more than an hour a week. 
So really start where you are. I love the patience, the persistence, all of these amazing themes. So was there anything else that you wanted to highlight or share with us as we wrap up? I think that empathy is a really important component to all of this. I think that the ability to relate to anyone and to put yourself in someone else's shoes, even someone where on a surface level you have zero in common, uh, is a hugely valuable trait. You know, I, you know, I'm gay, I'm black, uh, and I have lots of opinions about lots of things. And yet there's always going to be a point of contact with someone else where you can say, well, here's where we can agree. Here's where we can build something together. And then over time, you'll start to see both of you guys shift. And I think that placemaking and community building is going to take so many of these connectors, so many of these people to kind of like make these strange bedfellows and say, look, what is the vision that we can create that everyone can buy into? You know, and I think that the people who are going to be able to do that and monetize that with projects that actually make economic sense as well, where you can say, look, it's actually a better business model to make something that everyone can take advantage of. I think that those people, those placemakers are really going to start to be exemplars of this new way of doing business, this new way of operating cities, this new way of kind of relating to one another. And so I think that that is the space that has the hugest potential for changing the way we do things. Awesome. I love that. And, and thank you so much for being with us today, Trey. It's been, it's been great to have this dialogue and kind of elevate this concept of placemaking on a broader sphere. So if you're listening to this and you want to learn more about Trey's work, um, go to treyborden.com. That's T-R-E-B-O-R-D-E-N.com. There's a ton of cool things he's already done and some new things he's activating. So you can check out his work and get some more inspiration there. And as you continue exploring this concept of placemaking and the intention behind it, being led by your values and led with some purposeful action, make sure to visit leadwithintention.com for more insight and other perspectives of millennial change makers. So this is our final 2017 millennial spotlight podcast. So we just wish you a awesome rest of the year and a happy new year. Thanks again for being with us. This is Leslie Bosterman inviting you to join the wholehearted leadership revolution as you continue leading with intention. <laughs>